Hi, and welcome to the Days Gone podcast. I'm Claire Weaver, a screenwriter, author, and Days Gone fan, and this podcast is a place to discuss the game in all its glory, share my opinions, both popular and unpopular, and listen to me fangirl over one of the best games ever made. There will be spoilers ahead, so continue at your own risk. Welcome to The Freak Show. Before we get started, I have a couple quick reminders. Weekdays at 7.30am Pacific Time, you can watch me live stream on YouTube. I'm currently playing Mad Max and thoroughly enjoying driving my souped-up Corvette through the wasteland of post-apocalyptic Australia. You can watch on my YouTube channel, just search for Days Gone Podcast. I'm also a guest on the Spornicus Rex YouTube channel on Tuesdays at 6pm Pacific. We're currently playing through one of my favourite franchises of all time, the Uncharted games. And an announcement, the Days Gone community now has a Discord. You'll find the link on my Instagram bio and on the YouTube channel in the top banner. Please come hang out and join the conversation. Okay, today this is going to be a departure from the usual routine. We are going spoiler free. That's right, there will be no spoilers in this episode, so anyone who's new to the game can listen without fear of having the story or the game spoiled. This is going to be a beginner's orientation, all the advice, tips, and tricks that I wish I'd had when I started playing, and we'll answer some of the commonly asked questions that come up on the subreddit. The idea for this episode came from my guest today. He's a moderator on my YouTube channel, and he manages the Discord. He's none other than Mr. Joe Schmo. Good morning, Joe. How are you doing today? Oh, I am good. (laughs) Are you ready to get into this? We have a lot of ground to cover. Oh, yes. Let's get into all the spoilers. I mean, none of the spoilers. That's right. (laughs) No spoilers. No spoilers. All right. Won't talk about the end where Deacon dies. Won't do that. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) He dies all the way through. You just reload it. Oh, that's right. That's, That's what reload is for. That's right. Pro tip, if you die, reload. Yeah. It'll 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 really help with the the replayability of the game, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Speaking of reloading, I really want to start here. So, understanding how saving works during the game because it it's a little funky and it does trip people up sometimes. So, the way the game the game works is it does auto save somewhat often. You can manually auto save when you're near your bike or the bed, you hold triangle if you're on PlayStation, uh, just do like a quick save. The way the save files work is you have a you have quite a lot of slots that can be used for autosave, so it will kind of create a lot of autosaves. But it can be a little sort of random. The best way to make sure your game is saved is doing a hard save, which is really fast. And you just go into the pause menu, hit save, select the slot you want to save on, boom, it's saved. You don't have a lot of those slots to save the game in. You can only, I think, have five. So if you're creating, if you're playing the game and you're trying to create a lot of backup saves, um, you don't have a lot of options. It does, it is kind of limited. But the thing that I want to bring up is you cannot save during a mission. And this trips a lot of people up. So if you accept a mission to go take out an ambush camp, or if it's like go do a story mission, and you get halfway through and you save your game, when you reload, it takes you back to the beginning of the mission. Yeah, I had to learn that lesson the hard way. 
I think we all did. We all learned it the hard way. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why we're doing this episode, so that we can hopefully break the cycle of having to learn these things the hard way. And in case it wasn't clear, the hard saves do also have to be near your bike or a bed. Yes, correct. You you can only save when you are quote-unquote safe. And also when there are no enemies around. Mm -hmm. So there are certain points in the game, like especially later game when there are lots of enemies everywhere, that it can get kind of tricky. Uh, you could The best way to do it if you are having trouble finding a spot in which to save is go to a camp. And we'll get into camps in a minute. But all the camps have a bed. And they're also just like safe places. So you can just stand next to your bike while you're in a camp and save it there. You can literally just roll through the gate at a camp and save while you're on your bike. Yeah. Oh, and the bike has to not be moving. That's the other thing. So you have to have oh, yeah. no enemies around. You have to be near your bed or your bike. And the bike can't be in motion. So don't try to save while falling off a cliff. That That's not going to work. Yeah, don't do that. I also want to point out, so the, the first mission, so anyone who's listening to this who hasn't yet started playing the game, uh, the very first beginning part of the game, it, it takes a little while to get through. It counts as a mission. So I'm trying not to give any spoilers here. The first like little chapter of the story, you cannot save during that. Even though you do a few different things, there's a few different parts to it, so it feels like you've done little mini missions, you have not. You can only save, and I don't want to give any story spoilers, but once you are given a bike, that is when you can save. And that's when you absolutely should create a hard save and and make sure you're backed up there. Admittedly, Um, it is a bit of time. mm -hmm. Um, I'd say probably for new players, probably an hour. Yeah. So. If 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 you plan on starting this and you don't have an hour to play through it, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you definitely need to get just a little ways in before it lets you properly save it. If you don't do that or if you try to like autosave or try to save halfway through, it will just start you back at the beginning. And that's that's annoying and frustrating. I hate it when games do that. I think once you get to a place called Crazy Willies, I think if you've gotten that far, the game will restart you there because I feel like that's an actual hard checkpoint that the game does keep for you if you've gotten that far. I don't think that'll throw you all the way to the beginning of the game again. Don't quote me on it. I'm, but yeah, I'm not sure I would I would move past that bit. Yeah, if you can go past it, please do. Yeah. Speaking of the beginning of the game, I do want to point out that the... The game does have kind of a slow start. Uh, It is a little, uh, not exactly tutorial heavy, but it definitely kind of locks you into doing some little missions to get the story going. Mm -hmm. And I think some people expect to just like, I mean, the cover art kind of tells you you're going to be on a bike, you're going to be killing massive hordes of zombies. It doesn't start out that way. You are pretty weak at the beginning. You're very underpowered. Uh, You have to not grind. I wouldn't say it's a grindy game at all. No, because there are no levels per se. Right, right. It's not like, oh, you're level 10. Now you can take on a horde with 20 freakers instead of just 15. Like, that's that's not what this game is. It is very much a you figure out how to play and get better. And as you're doing that, the character also does happen to get better. Right. There are skills you unlock and there are better weapons that you unlock. But essentially, that's really the beginning and end of the complexity of your character upgrading. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you earn XP, get skill points. There's a skill tree, but it's not massively complicated. It's just five. There's three sections to the skill tree. There's melee, there's ranged, and there's like what they call survival, which is like your ability to pick things up and carry more items and, and stuff like that. And within each of those, there are five tiers, three skills to a tier. And it's two points to get to the next level. To unlock level two, you have to have two skill points already put into tier one. To unlock level three, you have to have four skill points already put in below level three, and so on. Yeah. So there is a YouTuber by the name of Spornicus Rex who has done a lot of really cool tips and tricks videos. Uh, He's also on the subreddit a lot, and he has a little way to describe the early game that I I just want to read a quote from him. He says, The early hours of Days Gone are meant to be difficult and frustrating. You are meant to feel weak and underpowered so that you really feel the transition from being prey to becoming the predator. Later in the game, with better gear and more skills, Deacon becomes an unstoppable badass. So don't worry if the first few hours seem a little too hard. You're not doing anything wrong. This is exactly how the game was meant to progress. So I really like that description because that, that does kind of tell you what this game is. You start out kind of weak. You have to use stealth. You don't have good weapons. You uh, you have to kind of work to find safety and to understand the world. But as you go, you do become a fucking badass by the end of the game. It sums it up really well. It's a lot of the, the game is trying to make you immersed mm-hmm. in that you're so weak that when you do have to go out into the shit... You're scared. Mm-hmm. You walk out there, you see a freak, and you're like, "If if if I try to kill that thing, the bat I have is going to break, and then I have to use my boot knife. Mm. And my boot knife takes a while to kill these freaks because I'm not very good with it yet. Also, it's like a little knife mm-hmm. doesn't do a lot of damage. I don't think I've ever killed a freak with the boot knife. I don't think I ever even tried. I mean, I'm sure it's happened a few times, but like not by choice. <laughs> yeah. It's not a weapon. I don't know if anyone really does it by choice. If anyone's played Resident Evil and they remember the knife from Resident Evil, it's kind of like that. Oh, yeah. You just, you're not really going to take on a zombie with that unless you really have to. So the early hours are definitely a little more stealth oriented, a little more avoiding, like play defensively. And speaking of which, the game kind of like tells you and implies that you should only go out in the daytime. Mm-hmm. And the idea of there's a difference between day and night. Day is a lot safer. The freaks, as the, the zombies, air quotes, are called, um, they are usually hibernating in the day. There'll be a few, but a lot of them are hibernating. And so at nighttime, that's when they really come out and they're fucking everywhere. I personally never change it. You So you can change day and night. You can sleep and like pass the time. You just find a bunk, hit the button, and it will just show you a little animation that that fast forwards time. I never do that. I always just keep playing regardless of the time. But a lot of people, certainly early game, will choose to only go out in the daytime. And if it starts getting dark, well, you find a bunk, you fast forward time, make it dawn. Truly, in, in my opinion, when it comes to that, it's I think you should find out what you like with the game. I think you should try to go out at night at least once. Mm -hmm. And if you're enjoying 
the 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 level of immersion that 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 fear gives you then i'd say yeah dude just just go out whenever the game sets you in but if that if that freaks you out and gives you anxiety to the point where you don't want to keep playing this game then yeah maybe you should go to the daytime because it would probably be easier for you i i think regardless of what you choose you're going to enjoy the game Mm -hmm. the game is amazing please don't put it down (laughs) Yeah, and and that's the great thing about the game is it does give you a lot of options in how you play. I personally play very defensively, very stealth-oriented. I don't mind going out at night. The way you described it was perfect, that idea of of immersion and enjoying the fear. I always call it the chaos of the world. I Mm -hmm. fucking love... That's why I play video games, is to immerse myself in the chaos of the world of the video game. Days Gone is perfect for that. Mm -hmm. But you can also play very tactically, play very uh, very sort of gun-heavy. You know, certainly when you get a little more into it and you get to unlock some of the better guns, even when you have the crappy starter guns, if you're good at, like, aiming in video games, you'll be fine. Headshots mm-hmm. are, are, are pretty good at taking down the freaks. Um, so if you're good at getting headshots, you'll be fine. If you enjoy that kind of style, maybe not in the first few hours, because it does tend to try to force you to be a little more defensive. There are a lot of enemies. You really don't want to get swarmed by them. You don't have enough firepower to protect yourself. You do have to be a little stealthy. Certainly you mentioned Crazy Willies being a sort of little mission that you do in the early game. I love that part because I love sneaking through the whole thing and taking Mm -hmm. out every single freak. Whereas I know other players, like the aforementioned Spornicus Rex, he'll just like run through and like take out whoever's in front of him and get to the end really quickly. He does that whole bit in like five or 10 minutes. I like to spend a whole hour doing that, just that one part. That's actually my favorite mission in the entire game. And not to say that it peaks early, it doesn't. There's lots more to come, uh, a lot more great missions. But I just really like the idea of methodically clearing an Mm -hmm. area. And that's what it kind of sort of leans you towards early game later you can do whatever you want yeah and the skill tree that i mentioned you have a lot of choices and it gives you a lot of really good skills that help you kind of build your character in your way but it's not too complicated you do get all the skills pretty much by the end of the game you will probably have all of them unlocked i feel like it's really hard to not do that yeah yeah i also just um pointing out that if you do decide to try to tactically take out all the freaks um, more so in the beginning of the game, it will give you a slight advantage in that, you know, you're getting XP for every freak you kill. Mm, mm-hmm, if you're avoiding all of them, it's not going to be massively slower that you level up, but it will, you know, take away from that. Whereas right. just like every other game, the the more stuff you do for the XP that you get, the quicker you're going to go. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. So some other early tips and tricks I just want to point out. I mentioned Spornicus Rex earlier. Do check out his channel. He actually has a playlist on his channel that is a spoiler-free tips and tricks early game start guide. And he goes through some hidden loot locations. There are places in the game where you can find, they're kind of out the way, kind of hidden. You can find late game or mid to late game weapons and like mines and attractors and things like that, like really useful tools that you cannot craft 
until way later in the game, until you unlock the recipes to make them yourself. So there are places where you can pick those things up. And uh, he has a little video on that. And a lot of them are, you know, accessible really early on mm-hmm. and really useful to gather up some supplies so that you can actually start taking on hordes early in the game. Because the game kind of like, it tells you, oh, the hordes are scary. Don't go near them. And there's a story mission that tells you to go take on a horde. And when I was playing it, I didn't take on any hordes until the story mission told me, okay, now you're going to go do that. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's a it's quite a ways into the game. It's like yeah. three quarters of the way into the game. You absolutely can and should take on mm-hmm. hordes earlier than that. The beauty of taking on hordes early is twofold. One, well, I guess almost threefold. Um, one, you're getting all the experience from killing all those freaks. Mm-hmm. And that's huge. Two, you're starting to understand how the hordes act, their you know their behavior, their reactions, and how you can better, I guess, get after it. You know, later in the game when they're so much more abundant and they're a lot smaller in the first uh, few areas. Mm-hmm. They're. I think the biggest one in the first few years is like 50 and the smallest is 25, something like that. Mm-hmm. There might be one smaller. They're they're not that big. It it does seem very intimidating. They do seem huge. I always joke that the first time I played it, <laughs> one of the hordes that you'll run into, you'll you'll know it by name. It's called the Death Train Horde. You mm-hmm. will know this horde. I swear to God, the first time I played it, it was 5,000 freaks. And oh, then yeah. it, weirdly, every time I played it since, it's like fifty. Yeah, I don't. I don't know where the other four hundred and ninety four thousand. Yeah, I don't know where they went. But... Yeah, they just they they got lost somewhere. Um, it feels so terrifying and so intimidating. And now when I play it, I'm like, oh, this one's actually pretty easy once you know the tactics, once you know mm-hmm. how they work, where they go, where to lead them, because there's that thing of like, don't let them chase you lead them where you want them to be yes but in the early game like you're just like oh my fucking god there's like millions of zombies chasing after me of course you're gonna run Mm -hmm. wildly in any direction to get away from them uh but the more you take them on like you said joe the more you take them on the more you understand them and it kind of like lessens that fear that panic and allows you to maintain control yeah oh the uh the third fold of taking on hordes early is something that a lot of the much better players than me and Claire and all those <laughs> awesome people. Um, a lot of them have figured out that uh, if you take on four hordes very early in the game, it's going to be to your advantage because once you kill four hordes, you get this beautiful little weapon called the SMP9. Ah, the SMP9. I think it's arguably the best gun in the game because each of the guns you pick up and purchase, there are different quality levels of them, Mm -hmm. which honestly I haven't really played about. I haven't tested them that much. I don't know really if there's much of a difference, just the stats are slightly lowered on the lower quality weapons, but you get the top tier quality best gun in the game. Uh, Certainly the best sidearm in my opinion. Oh yeah. And it's called the SMP9 and it's, fucking amazing and all you have to do is kill four hordes any four hordes so find the four smallest hordes you can 
use the loot locations to get your grenades and your mines and your Molotovs. tractors, Molotovs. Blow those motherfuckers to high hell. <laughs> yeah, all the stuff that you can't craft yet, go to the Spornicus Rex YouTube channel, look up his best early game start guide, look at his loot locations, look at which hordes he chooses, because there are four specific hordes he chooses. I switch out one of them, I have a, a different preference for which four, but the Death Train Horde, the White King Mine Horde, Shadow Lake Horde, those are three of his, and then he does the Proxy Falls Horde. I don't like the Proxy Falls Horde, I always have bad luck with that. So I'll do the Lava Arch Horde, um, mm. or the, I think it's the Twin Craters Horde, I'm not, I don't fully remember which one I do, but there are lots of them that are all around 50 Freaks, and they're all very, very doable, literally right out the gate. I mean, maybe if you were not so much of an avid gamer, you need to get your bearings, get a feel for the game. By all means, do that. But definitely, early game, start taking out hordes. You only need four, and you will get that SMP9, and that will serve you through not only your whole playthrough, but every subsequent playthrough. That is mm -hmm. literally the only sidearm I use, and I played this game. I'm on my sixth playthrough now. Well, and one of the beauties of having that SMP9 is that it makes the next few hordes even easier so much easier it makes some of the there are um bounty hunting missions on the motorcycle mm -hmm. and the smp9 will make those easier yep it is a higher quality of life <laughs> in the game <laughs> yes for yes. sure and ammo is plentiful ammo is easy oh, yeah. to find you can purchase it at camps and you can uh find it out in the shit you'll find little ammo tins sometimes lying around. Most cop cars will have ammo in the back. Uh, mm -hmm. Pro tip, reload your guns before you pick up the ammo can. Yes. You will get more if you've just reloaded your weapon mm -hmm. than if you have it you know, half full or almost empty. Again, this is all something we learned the hard way of, yep. you know, you've got one bullet left in the chamber and you decide to take that ammo can and it doesn't fill your chamber. Mm -hmm. reload yeah reload then pick it up i only learned that on my last playthrough i was doing a an anti-social playthrough where i didn't buy ammo in any of the camps i just relied on what i found out in the field so it was just scavenging for like all my equipment all my throwables you know all the materials all the ammo and that was someone recommended that to me in the chat i still didn't even know someone told me that and i was like oh shit and when i started doing it i was like wow that makes a difference really makes a difference. Okay, so we were talking about hordes. Let's go through how the hordes work because they have really, really cool behaviors. Mm -hmm. Certainly day versus night is remarkably yes. different. Do you want to explain day versus night? Okay, so in the day, the freakers are kind of like vampires. They don't like the sun. They hibernate during the day. They are in their caves. They're not out wandering too much. Not that you're not going to encounter them during the day. You will find some. You'll find freaks, but you won't find hordes. The hordes are almost always during the day wherever they sleep. Mm -hmm. And they will have a set location for each horde has a set location, a set nest or cave or whatever they go back to. Sometimes yeah. it's in a house or a building. Usually most of the time they have a cave because uh, there are lots of caves throughout the game. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I mentioned the Death Train Horde. They sleep in a train carriage. Mm -hmm. um, so they're in like little hidden places where you might not see them until it's too late. Mm -hmm. Because if you roll up on them, get too close, 
they'll wake up. They'll come after your ass. Yeah, they'll they will try you. to kill you. Yes, they will. And they will succeed. <laughs> <laughs> and some of the injectors that help your character upgrade health, stamina, and focus, and we'll get onto that in a little bit, mm -hmm. some of those injectors are inside caves. And the hordes will be sleeping inside the cave. And you'll yeah. just see on the map, oh, there's an injector in there. Let me go in and get it. And then, oh, shit, it's full of 100 freaks. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is going to help anybody, but just in case, the caves that we're talking about they're in, some of them are 10 feet deep and that's it. Some of them are literal mazes. Be careful. <laughs> Use your survival vision as much as you can. You know, creep up on them. As soon as you see that little red area on your mini map, figure it out. Figure out where they are. You Use every tool you have to your advantage. Yeah. Also, pay attention to the music cues. Yes. Uh, there's a specific track that plays when you are near a horde. So if you hear the horde music start up, you're near a horde. So watch the fuck out. And once it starts playing vigorously, they're already coming after you. Yeah. So if you don't see them, run. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely. <laughs> So let's talk about nighttime behavior. So when they when they wake up, usually it's um it's around dusk, obviously. Mm -hmm. They will wake up and they will come out of their cave or their shelter, and they have two different locations that they will basically all night track between one and then the other. They have a food location, a feeding ground, and they have a watering hole. They will generally have the same path between one and the other. And they'll mm -hmm. kind of do like a little loop between those and then they'll go back to their their cave. You can see where their locations are. You can often see the feeding grounds on the map. If you zoom in, it'll be usually a burial pit. It's mm -hmm. where they like to eat. And their watering hole will usually be by a lake or a river. And you'll be able to see on the ground that it's all, the mud is all churned up. It's kind Mud of all and shit. shit and Ugh. sticks and gross. It's gross and there's like scratch marks and things mm -hmm. like that. So you'll really clearly be able to see something has been here. If you pay attention to the, the landscape, you can see, oh, this is where a horde comes. Mm -hmm. And if you're there at night, watch out because they're probably going to be coming there right now. Yeah. No, there are there are plenty of places where you can find hordes. You you can hunt down hordes based on those kind of tracks. Yeah, because it's not just by the watering hole or by the feeding ground or by the cave. Like they're all by those areas, but there are sometimes just tracks in between those areas from where they typically walk. Mm -hmm. And I, I I'm pretty sure the developers put it in there so that if you wanted to, you know, hunt them down, you can. Yeah. And it will help you do so. And it's just, oh my God, it's so much fun. Yes. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to mention that the world is very dynamic. And yes. each of the enemies, uh, in fact, all of the environmental stuff, you have predatory animals and then you have uh, prey animals like deer. You, you have human enemies that will spawn, raiders that will like drive around on motorbikes sometimes. Um, you'll have marauders who will just like lay traps for you in the road, like sniper traps, or they'll come up and fuck with your bike while you're off in a cave. Every single one of them will attack each other as well. Yes, they're programmed to interact with each other. So sometimes a horde will wander off its usual path because they've seen a deer or a human and they'll they'll go off and chase it. 
Mm-hmm. They will follow a deer or a human until they get it or until it goes too far or they lose it. So sometimes they're not on their usual paths because the world is dynamic. They also have the hordes respond to if it gets cloudy, if it gets rainy, they like it dark and cold. So if the weather changes, you'll see more freaks. Mm-hmm. You'll see more freaks wandering around. The hordes are a little stronger. I think their health changes or, or the freaks' health is improved. So just pay attention to those things. There's also the lead open world designer, Eric Jensen. When I interviewed him, he mentioned how the world will adapt based on your statistics. If you're low on health, you know, if you're having trouble finding ammo or something like that, the world will react a little to that, like the programming behind the scenes, you know, under the hood, it will respond to that and maybe give you a few more opportunities to take a chance and go find something. So you get these question marks that pop up on the map and Mm -hmm. those are worth following, but you never quite know what you're going to get with them. The way he described it was if you're in a forest and you hear a twig snap, what do you think? Is it, oh fuck, there's a bear following me? Shit, I better run. Or is it, hey, there could be something over there that I could go get. Is it something wounded that I can take advantage of? You know, you don't know. It might be a trap. It might be something that's already been killed and you can just loot the body. It could be a trap and you can easily take out the people who are trying to trap you and turn it around on them. It could be someone who's trying to, who, who has hostages. You know, there's like often marauders will have captured other people and you can sneak up on them and kill them and rescue the person and then you get uh, trust and credits for that and XP. So it's it's like it gives you more of those opportunities as you maybe need them because the story, the way of looking at it as a story is, well, Deacon is paying more attention because he knows he's low, low on ammo. He knows mm-hmm. he's low on health. He needs to take more chances. He, if he hears something, he needs to go investigate because he's getting desperate and he needs the ammo. He needs to take that risk. So pay attention to your surroundings. Pay attention to the map. When you see those question marks pop up, go check them out. They're fun. They're really fun. It's one of those things that I think it was Jeff Ross who said something about um, the the tagline that's on the case for the game of this world comes for you is not just a a PR line. It's legit. Yeah, every single thing in this world can and will, given the opportunity, kill you. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you've got to figure out how you can survive it. And you can survive it. There are very, very few situations in this game that you don't have the opportunities to survive in. Mm -hmm. Honestly, thinking of it right now, I, I can't even think of a single one that you can't get out of somehow. Yeah. The game isn't hard in a certain way. Like, I I love playing video games, but I'm not like a hardcore gamer. I'm not an expert in video games. I like experiencing games. I'm passionate about games. I didn't have any trouble completing the entire game, and I played it for my first playthrough. It's a long game. I spent 90 hours playing it, minimum, maybe 100. You can do it a lot sooner. It depends on your play style. I like to do every side mission that pops up. Um, mm-hmm. every story mission, every optional mission. And I'll, I'll get into that in a second of how to tell the difference between those. I like to do everything. I'm not a super completionist, but I like to experience as much as I can. And there was no point where I was like, fuck, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to kill this thing. I don't have the weaponry. I don't have the resources. It gives you everything you need. Mm-hmm. But 
you do have to take the opportunities that are given. That's what I love about it. It doesn't hold your hand, but it doesn't leave you on your own necessarily right. either. It's a game it's, that wants you to finish it. It's so well balanced. Mm. It really, really is. Yeah. There's a reason why everyone is so obsessed with it and why <laughs> people like me start the podcast about it. Um, it's, it is such a well-built game and it really cares about the player. Yes. It really cares to give you a great experience that you can do so much with it. There are so many opportunities for different play styles and it doesn't force you, apart from those only few hours, it doesn't really force you to do any one thing. You can do whatever the fuck you want, but it's also not completely wild and open to the point where you don't know what to do. Yeah. It, it lays out the expectations really well. Sorry, I'm just daydreaming right now. <laughs> We're both just playing Days Gone in our heads. Um, all right, let's move on. Let's talk about the map and understanding the map. So I talked yes. a second ago about the understanding the different story missions. Mm -hmm. There are three different color codes to the mission markers. And I'm not talking about the missions um, like the ambush camps or the um, the injectors that you can go get and things like that. Not like just map icons. The actual missions that you are given, either a story mission or a camp job or an optional mission that's part of the story, but you don't have to do it. You can skip yes. it if you want. So the story missions are always marked in yellow on your map. The side missions, the camp jobs, those are always in orange. And those are ones that you can skip. But personally, I don't. I feel like they're all part of the story. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that are that are part of creating a relationship with the camps. Mm -hmm. So leveling up your trust, earning credits, um, unlocking weapons. And that weapons. benefits you. Yeah. Unlocking bike upgrades. The things that you need, the opportunities you can take to mm -hmm. improve yourself and your chances of survival you should be doing those jobs. You don't have to. If you want to keep going with the story, just follow the yellow markers. Yeah. But I recommend you'll get so much more out of the game if you also do pepper in the, the orange markers as well. Mm -hmm. And then there are the white markers. The white markers are completely optional. These are the only ones that you can actually miss. None of the others will disappear. Yeah. They will stay there until you do them and they're unlocked in a certain order. The, the side missions um, I believe each camp, like it's not randomized. You have the same order of those side missions every time. And it's usually six to eight side missions per camp. Mm -hmm. And that's the order they happen in. The one that is slightly different is for Copeland's camp. The okay. sixth mission you mm. cannot do until late in the game and it will mm -hmm. make you do that. You'll There's a point in the story where you are prompted to leave those regions for a while. And I'm not going to give any spoilers, but it will kind of lock you out of those regions. And if yeah. you're a completionist and you're trying to do all the camp jobs, you'll see it's five of six for Copeland. And you'll be like, God damn it, I want to do that final six mission. You can't do that until you come back. That is locked mm -hmm. until later. That I believe is the only one. Everything else you can either save it for later or do it early or do it in the middle. It doesn't matter. They will just unlock. They will progress through their, their order. So the the white missions um, for anyone who's interested to know about them, they are very much story heavy missions, background type of information. If you want to be fully in depth, fully informed, fully immersed, you know, all that jazz, 
I recommend 100% doing every single one of them. Yes. And do them as soon as you see them. Because like Claire said, you can miss them. Mm -hmm. Those are the only ones that if you progress too far with the rest of the story, with the rest of the yellow missions, those white ones will disappear. So do mm -hmm. pay attention to those as soon as they pop up, do them. And yes, absolutely do them. You get XP for them as well. Mm -hmm. So it's worthwhile just for your gameplay, but they help tell the story. And the story of this game is so fucking compelling. I I'm not going to give any story spoilers, but the first few hours of the game do not really relay how awesome the story is going to get. It it's yeah. a little bit of a slow burn. And I hate to say that, but it is. The early game, you're sort of focused on on kind of gameplay stuff, uh, getting things and, and making a, a decision about something and, and kind of unlocking the camps, doing a few side missions. It will pick up a few hours in, you'll start to get into the actual emotional story of the game, the, the shit that we all love about the game, um, the reason why people keep coming back to this game. It's a slow burn, but it's a worthwhile slow burn. Yes, yeah. It's like a cigar. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about finding fuel. This is just yeah. a quick one. So something I didn't know my first playthrough, I think a lot of people don't know this. <laughs> I um, still can't. I don't understand. You don't understand what? How... I, I really don't understand because that was one of the first things I did was I rolled up to one and I was like, oh, well, yeah, I can use this. Cool. Okay, so we're talking about <laughs> gas stations. Um, you have gas cans littered around. You find gas cans mm -hmm. at um, Nero checkpoints. You find them on the back of tow trucks. You find them randomly just by buildings sometimes. Uh, and you find them at gas stations, fuel cans. Great. You see it, you pick it up, you go over to your bike, you press the button, he fuels it up. So the gas stations, see, this doesn't make sense in the world. The gas pumps You're, you, still you're thinking work. too logically about I it. I know. So it's too immersed in the game. So the <laughs> gas pumps still work. At every gas station, there will be a pump that you can roll up to. You don't have to get off your bike and go pick up a gas can. You just press the button and he will fuel up from mm -hmm. the gas tank. And there's even one at your safe house when you unlock O'Leary Mountain safe house. Mm -hmm. um, there is a little gas can there with a little pump attached to it, like a barrel uh, with a pump attached to it. You can just roll up on that and refuel there. All of the gas is free. <sighs> Those of us in the modern world are weeping <laughs> for the free gas. And it is unlimited. The gas cans mm -hmm. and the gas pumps are magical and they will never run out. Uh, they also, if you blow them up, they will respawn um, mm -hmm. because you can use them. I often use them as weapons. I will pick up a gas can and put it next to a mine or something that I've I've left on the ground and lead some freaks over it, and it adds to the explosion. Can you blow up the gas stations? No. Okay. I just <laughs> thought about that. I was like, I've never even tried to do that. I don't know. <laughs> you can blow up the propane tanks that are often next to the gas stations, yeah, yeah, yeah. the large propane tanks, and there are fuel trucks dotted around that you can blow yeah. up. Uh, but the one next to Rogue Camp, you cannot blow that one up. You'll That'll mm. make sense when you get there. But there's one, it's like a big fuel tanker, like a big rig with the fuel. Oh, you can't yep. blow those ones up. But you can yep. blow up the the propane tanks, the white tanks that are fixed to the ground. Those explode. And the um, there are certain, they look kind of like army trucks. And they quite obviously have like fuel mm -hmm. truck or something written on the side. There's one by the death train horde. Hint, hint. 
you can blow that one up. And they are big explosions, and they will take out a lot of freaks. They go boom. Yeah, they go boom. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, keep an eye out for those. The propane tanks, the gigantic uh, white ones, just keep in mind, um, like many other video games, there are, quote unquote, heavy enemies mm. in this game. And just a thought, a big explosion might help kill that thing quicker. I don't know. Just just a thought. Yeah. Just keep it in, keep mind, in mind, you know. Yeah. Okay, I want to talk about ambush camps because this is, these are a key part of the game and there's a lot of them and they are really important. They're easy mm -hmm. to think you can miss them and just be like, eh, I'll deal with that later. But what they do, so ambush camps, every region of the map, uh, and there are several, uh, just to let you know, the map does open up as you play. There are several regions. It's bigger than you think. That's what she said. Um, <laughs> oh, that's what he said. <laughs> Um, so every region has two or three ambush camps, usually between so 12 to 14 enemies. Some of the later ones have 20 enemies in the camps. They're little standalone missions that you can choose to go do. You find them by looking for a column of black smoke rising up. That's how you can literally just look around. If you see a column of black smoke, boom, there's an ambush camp. Go get it. They're really fucking useful for a lot of reasons. First of all, you should do them soon. You should do them early on mm -hmm. because when you unlock them, when you kill all the enemies and they have a bunker that you go down into uh, and that completes it as a mission, it clears the fog off the map and it mm -hmm. marks on your map everything that everything. they have on their map. So it's kind of like you're copying their map and they know... Um, historical markers. Historical markers. Nest locations. And specifically, the, the actual location of the actual nest. So you'll get mm -hmm. things that are infestation zones, and it will tell you there's an infestation zone at Marion Forks, for example. And if there you, are five nests here. Yeah. You have to find them. You have to run around and find them unless you go to the ambush camp first, and mm -hmm. they will mark on the location of the actual five nests that you need to find. Specifically, it is so much easier to do it that way. So much easier. You'll save so much time, so much energy, so much ammo and resources. Because as you're running around looking for things, you're running into enemies all the time. Mm -hmm. So if you can just go directly to a nest and take it out, that's that's so oh, much yeah. more preferable. I will say though, the the exploring between trying to find nests is typically how a lot of people have found all of these hidden loot locations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, play the I way mean, you want to play. The world is littered with stuff to pick up um, yeah. and stuff to scavenge, so it it does behoove you to go and just explore. If anything, uh, I'd say treat it like Fallout, go into every building. Yeah. See what everything has, you know? Yeah. Never know what you might miss. Uh, so the other thing about ambush camps is when you finish an ambush camp, like I said, there'll be a bunker. You go down into the bunker and you interact with their map. That will kind of give you a completion screen and it will also give you a crafting recipe this is how you learn how to craft melee weapons and throwable items like attractors and tractor bombs also crossbow bolts certain recipes for the crossbow because the crossbow doesn't just fire bolts it also fires incendiary bolts explosive bolts poison bolts and residue bolts it's really fucking versatile it's basically five weapons in one 
Those who think the crossbow is useless or wrong, try it. Try it and give it a real good go. I did an episode on the crossbow, which really changed my mind about it. I was kind of like, eh, I could take it or leave it. I've been rocking the crossbow now for the, the last playthrough, and it's really good. It's really fucking useful and versatile, so and it's more badass than you think it is. Oh, yeah. So definitely give the crossbow a go. If you want to listen to the episode, um, it's on YouTube, it's on Spotify, it's on wherever you're listening to this. I think that one's fairly spoiler-free. It's mostly spoiler-free. You may, if you care about spoilers, don't maybe don't listen to it because I can't guarantee it's spoiler-free. But if you're like, ah, I don't really mind, go check it out. It gives you a lot of information about how to use the crossbow, how to get the most out of it. Uh, so I recommend that. Um, there's also an episode I did on the skill tree same thing applies. Really fucking good episode. A lot of mm -hmm. great information on how to look at the skill tree, how to unlock the skills, what the important ones are, what some of the ones are that seem unimportant but actually are really important. Again, though, I can't guarantee it's spoiler-free. So anyway, back to the ambush camps, the bunkers. Little pro tip, if you're unlocking a crafting recipe, it's a good idea to, when you kill the ambush camp, you can loot the bodies wait until after you've unlocked the bunker before you loot all the bodies. Because as you unlock crafting recipes, you then unlock the ability to pick up the materials that you need for the crafting recipe. Because you can't touch them until you know how to use them. And it's yeah. so annoying. It kind of makes sense that Deacon doesn't know it's going to be useful until he gets a crafting recipe and he's like, oh, I could actually use this. So like alarm clocks. I Why guess are you going to so. pick up an alarm clock? That's but, just one of those things that, in my opinion, if you're in the apocalypse, you're going to take whatever you can find. I don't think you're going to take alarm <laughs> clocks, though, or, or no, styrofoam cups. No, but you'd cups. take a growler, wouldn't you? I mean, they're heavy. <laughs> You've only got that tiny little man purse, that tiny little bag. <laughs> There's only so much you can carry in that. And yet you can carry six of them later. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> When you go down into the bunker and unlock the crafting recipes, then sometimes you come back up, you loot the bodies, you might get some of the equipment you need for that crafting recipe from the bodies, whereas if you'd done it before, you wouldn't have got that stuff because you can't pick it up. So you might have got something else. It's kind of, it's a toss-up. Some people like to play it that way. Some people like to, like me, I like to loot the bodies as I go. But it is useful if you're trying to pick up a lot of craftable stuff. Maybe consider looting the bodies after you come out of the bunker. That being said, the craftable ingredients are the only things you can't pick up until you know the recipes. The craftable items themselves, you can pick up regardless of whether you know the recipes or not. Right. So you can pick up attractors and smoke bombs and things like mm -hmm. that. At the beginning of the Remote game. Remote bombs. At the beginning of the game, if you know where to find them, you can find them already crafted and you mm -hmm. can pick those up and use them. But you can't make them yourself or yeah. pick up the recipe items to make them until you know the recipe. And you get the recipe from doing for the most part, the ambush camps. And if you go into the menu progress tab, I believe it is, and mouse over each kind of mission, it will tell you at what point you unlock what recipe. Mm -hmm. So for like the horde killing uh, storyline, it will tell you at 10% you get the SMP9, at 25% you get the auto shotgun, at 60% you get the MG55, at 85% you get the mag upgrade for the MG55, and so on. Get the auto shotgun, it's awesome. Get, 
get the auto shotgun, get the auto <laughs> shotgun. Use the SMP9 to get the auto shotgun and then roll with those two. It's fucking amazing. Speaking of loot, um, there is this cult in the game called the Rippers. I'm not going to give you any more detail than that. But if you encounter them anywhere you are, loot those guys. They mm-hmm. have some of the best loot in the game because yeah. they're insane people and they carry some of the weirdest shit. But it's also some of the best stuff. Their so. melee weapon is is really good. Um, speaking of melee weapons, I just want to drop in a little tip about the machete. The machete is underrated. The machete is fucking amazing. And you can find them in the back of any green pickup truck, the forestry service trucks that are dotted around the map. And there are quite a few of them. In pretty much about 99% of the time, in the back of those, you will find a machete. And so you never need to repair it. You can just use it for a while and then go pick up a new one. And they respawn. Everything in the game, apart from ammo tins, respawns every four in-game days. So definitely take advantage of the respawn uh, for picking up everything. You know, Mm -hmm. you can go to a location, find a whole bunch of cool shit. um, You know, all the crafting recipe items that you need, materials that you need. And then just go back there every few days and get more and just keep going. Okay, let's talk about camps because this is a big part of the game. Uh, when you start the game, you just have Copeland's camp unlocked, and very quickly you'll unlock Tucker's camp. Those are the two beginning of the game, first quarter of the game, the only two camps you can go to. The way camps work is one of them will offer bike upgrades, one will offer guns. So you have two different things you can focus on in terms of building up your trust with each camp, uh, because the more trust you have, the better guns or bike upgrades you can buy. Uh, They won't sell to you if you're low trust. And there are three levels of trust. So you'll start out, well, actually four, I guess. You start out with no trust. You very quickly get to level one, um, which gives you some basic items that you can get. Level two will give you slightly better items, and level three will give you the best stuff they have to offer. There is a point early on in the story where you are given a choice You have an item and you can either give it to Copeland or to Tucker. What this does is it it gives you a little bit of trust with which camp you choose. Mm -hmm. So if you want to level up your trust with Tucker's camp to get guns, give the item to her. If you want to level up trust to get bike upgrades quicker, give it to Copeland. That is what that moment in the game serves that's the purpose of that it's just who do you want to get a little bit more trust with do you want guns or do you want bike upgrades i've always done the bike every single time i always went with what's implied by the story the item does technically belong to tucker every single time i'm just like yeah but i want my bike to be better there's also there's story (laughs) reasons why you don't want to give it to tucker yeah she yeah Mm -hmm. There is one camp in the game, it's the third camp you unlock, that actually offers both. Yes, and it's the only one that offers both. That is one of the best camps to put your trust in sort of early games. So do a little bit with Cope and Tucker, but then you might want to save your bounties for killing freaks. So all those Mm -hmm. hordes you took out to get the SMP9, you're collecting ears off the freaks, you turn those in at the camps, and they're like, hey, cool, you are making our region safer, here's some credits, or here's some trust. Mm-hmm. You have done us a favor. We like you. You level up. You might want to 
at a certain point start saving those to give to the third camp because you get to the third camp fairly early on in the game yeah so maybe you start thinking about that uh because that has much better bike upgrades much better guns than cope and tucker uh also plants and meat so if you kill any animals if you gut a deer or a wolf you turn that in at the camp and you get trust and credits as well and just to point out with tucker's camp you actually don't get trust well, you get trust for turning those things in, but when you rescue survivors out in the field, you can just send money. them to camps, you just get money. Uh, for story reasons, she doesn't really give you trust. She kind of doesn't really care. And the third camp doesn't give you any credits. They just give you trust. Yeah, just gives you trust because they don't want to pay for survivors. They There's, a, again, a story mission why uh, mm -hmm. that happens. Let's move on to Nero MMUs. Uh, the checkpoints, the, these are places that will be marked on your map as places to unlock. You can also fast travel to these places once you've unlocked them. And each of these will contain an injector. I mentioned these earlier. So these are ways that you can improve your health, your stamina for sprinting, and your focus for shooting. So that's the, the sort of the bullet time, the slow-mo, allowing you to slow down time so you can get a better shot. Um, when you're fighting someone, that only lasts the beginning of the game. Once you you have to actually unlock that as a skill, mm. and I recommend that being the first skill you unlock. But that is for like a couple seconds, maybe early on in the game. You have to use the injectors to improve that. Now, when I played my first time, I was like, "Oh, I should put it into health because health is obviously really important." And that is what most people think, and you are wrong. <laughs> yes, to put it to put it bluntly, yes. Um, you actually don't need to worry so much about your health. Unless you're playing like survival too, then maybe, but yeah. even then. Health is really easy to replenish. You can create bandages, you can make them, and the, the materials to make them are plentiful. It's really straightforward. And bandages heal you so freaking much in the yeah. beginning of the game, guys. Yeah, and it's... then you have med kits which heal you, I think, 80%, and uh, they can be found in the back of ambulances, they can be found at M Nero MMUs, they can be found kind of similar places to where you find gas cans, like they're just sort of dotted around all over the place. There's, there's quite a lot of them. You are not going to hurt for health in this game. It is really easy to keep your health up. You will not run out of med kits. Yeah. They are everywhere, and bandages, you can craft them really easy you need a rag and you need a sterilizer and those mm -hmm. materials are everywhere now that's not to say that you don't have to watch out for your health True. you still do it's just that putting the upgrades into the stamina so that you can run or sprint for much longer and focus are going to give you a better advantage than having a little bit more health ever mm -hmm. will yeah also, pro tip, I found out recently that when you use an injector to increase your health, it will refill your health bar. Yes. So if you're low on health and you buy an MMU and you need to you know, go in and get the injector, use it on health and it will refill your entire health bar and give you that extra 25% or 25 mm -hmm. points. Yeah. Because you get up to a total of, I think, 300. Mm-hmm. 300 or 325 is like the max health and it starts at 100 and it goes yeah. up in increments of 25. I think the max is 300 and with the challenge mode stuff, it can get higher. Yeah, so we'll get into challenge mode in a minute. So challenge mode is something that you definitely need to know about. 
But the Nero MMUs, I found this user on the subreddit, Ando Dapando, had a list of why MMUs are really, really, really important and what you can do there. There's always a gas can there. There are always supplies and materials for crafting. There's always a med kit. There are safe hideouts, so you can go inside and shut the door and nothing can come in and get you. There's a bed for sleeping, so you can skip from night to day or save your game. There's also a gun locker, and you can refill the ammo magically. You can purchase it from the camps via a gun locker. If there's one part that doesn't apply to realism in this game, it is that. And it's probably the only thing that really bugs me. Think of it as a um, honor system that Copeland's left some ammo for you there or Tucker's left some ammo in a in a gun locker. And, and somehow they just know it was credits. you specifically that took it. Honor and... system. There's a little envelope. You write your name on it. Leave the credits inside. <laughs> leave some ears, some freaker ears tucked inside. <laughs> Thanks for the clean envelope. Now it's dripping with freaker blood. <laughs> I mentioned the skill tree earlier. Yes. And the three that are the most important early on, the first one is the focus skill. So you can actually unlock using focus because that will really help you, help you with ammo conservation and just help you in general with keeping your cool when you're fighting the freaks. There's one, I forget what it's called, but it's the ability to fix your melee weapons because you cannot do that at the beginning of the game. Your melee weapon has a certain health, and when it runs out, it breaks, and that's it. It's gone. And so to save you from having to find a new melee weapon, you can fix it using scrap, but you have to unlock that as a skill. Is that what field repair is? Field or is repairs, that the bike? Yes. No, I think it's field repairs. And then the other one is carry that weight. And this one is, it's like a tier three, I think. So you have to put in skills into the other ones first. It's so helpful. But please get that one. Get that one as soon as you can, because that allows you to carry double the amount of crafting materials and crafted items. So you can carry all of the ingredients you need to build, say, a Molotov cocktail, as well as double the amount of Molotov cocktails that are already crafted. So you can carry a lot of fucking shit. So carry that weight is definitely one to focus on as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about rest mode. If you are playing this game on a PlayStation, I don't know if this happens on the PlayStation 5. It does, PS4 and 5. So if you're playing not on a PC, do not, I repeat, do not put your system into rest mode for playing this game. It fucks the game. I, I don't know why they haven't been able to fix it the entire time the game it's, has been out. It's don't a memory it. issue. It's the way the PlayStation uses the memory. It kind of, it carries over too much. It uses too much memory. It, I don't know the actual technical reason why, but you need to turn it off to clear the memory cache mm. or, or whatever it is. I'm doing a terrible job of explaining that, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so you can look it up. Somebody's explained it better than me. Something um, to do with the RAM and the RAM this and, and the that and stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I computers and things. But no, it, it fucks up the memory and it starts to glitch out. You'll start having texture problems. You'll start having the floor disappear on you. So you literally cannot walk to where you need to be. Mm -hmm. uh, you just fall through the map. Or I had it one time because I had one playthrough where I was using it uh, before I knew better. And it would create randomly walls around you. So you just get boxed in. Suddenly you're in a 
boxed in little cave or something of like untextured walls and you get stuck. But the good news is there is a very easy fix. It is incredibly easy to fix this glitch if you're encountering it. Just restart your PlayStation. Yep. And it'll fix it. Now, that being said, I'll admit that some of the funniest glitches I have seen from Days Gone are because people were putting their stuff into rest mode. But that being said, I still don't recommend it. No. Simply because I have heard two now nightmare accounts of them doing this specifically so they could get footage of that kind of stuff. And for whatever reason, continuing to put it into rest mode literally crashed their PlayStation to the point where it wiped it. Oh, shit. I hadn't heard of that happening. Fuck. I know it's not very often. Obviously, Claire hasn't even heard of this. It's not often. It's really rare. I would never consider that a risk worth taking. Do not Please don't do it. Also, please, please don't go onto the subreddit and ask why is the floor why is the floor disappeared or whatever I, if you're having texture time. problems just restart it please just, just restart, restart please 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 <laughs> don't make, i moderate the subreddit and i get so tired of all of these comments of like oh look at this glitch why is this happening what it's happens? like don't use rest mode stop using rest mode and i was like well i don't know if it's rest mode i'm like i do i know it's rest mode restart your <laughs> i don't know if it's right. rest mode are you putting it into rest mode because i bet you are <laughs> and they're like yeah i'm like well it's rest mode did you restart your playstation no go do it did you restart it now yes is the glitch gone yes yeah. like, there you go it's rest mode <laughs> if you if you're having any kind of issues with glitches especially visual ones just restart your PlayStation. Yeah. I guarantee you that'll fix it 99% of the time. Also, sometimes uh, there are still a few. It's It had a bad rap at the beginning for being a glitchy game. 99% of the glitches have, have been figured out. This one they can't because it's just a system problem. The engine it was built on, it just doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't interact with it well. Occasionally, some of the missions will glitch. Oftentimes, just restarting. Re- either reload an earlier save. Or restart mm-hmm. your PlayStation and just, you know, load whatever most recent save you have. And this is why we recommend having more than one hard save. Yeah. yeah. Because if this happens and you don't have one from before, you might be screwed and you might have to start over. Yeah. Which sucks. It sucks. No, we don't want to do that. It sucks. It's unfortunate. Um, I don't want to like, I'm not pissing on the game or anything or the, the studio. It's, it just is one of those things. Uh, yeah. Glitches happen. Um, please don't encourage your PlayStation to glitch because, as Joe said, please, you please might kill don't. it. I mean, it, it doesn't kill your PlayStation. It just wipes like you don't have any game saves for any games. Anymore. Yeah, I mean, and no. That's, that, you don't want that. <laughs> no, you don't want to do that. Okay, so stepping back into the game, one last thing I want to talk about, and this will be the, the final uh, kind of tip in, in this introduction to gameplay challenge mode so challenge mode is a separate series of games that exist outside of the main game you access it through the main menu and it's i think eight or ten different challenges that you can do each one has like a little objective so it's either like get to a certain number of points a lot of them are points based um or you know survive for a certain amount of time or or whatever it is and they're fun kind of adrenaline fueled hardcore they are difficult they're hardcore mm-hmm. challenges, but they're all really fun and they all give you 
advantages for playing the main story. Do you want to explain the uh, the advantages, Joe? So the advantages that you get from this are they call them patches, and they literally are patches. Like on the on the biker vest, like literal patches that are sewn on. Yeah. That you see in the main in game. like all the little uh, cinematic scenes and all that. You will you'll see the patches on Deacon, and it's. Mm-hmm. It's cool. super cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but these patches also give you perks. So there are some that help. Um, I believe there are some that help reload times. Um, there are some that make uh, refueling the bike go even faster. There, I believe there's one that the perk only helps in challenge mode. I don't remember exactly what it is. Yeah, there is one that just helps with that. And yeah, I don't remember what it is, but that's that's probably the least important one to get. But the rest of them are applicable to the game, to the main game, yeah. immediately, as soon as you unlock them. And mm-hmm. each one has three tiers. It has bronze, silver, and gold. And depending on the tier you unlock, you get more improved stats. Yeah. And it could be things like you can improve your health. You can improve your, like you said, the reload time. You can improve focus mode. I think it's when you're reloading in focus mode, you're not using focus. And if you get gold in that, I think it actually starts refilling your focus or something like that. Ooh. Like it, you can actually... I was going to say, because I know the the not using focus is a... Oh, no, 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 no. That skill is just so that you can reload during focus time. That's right. So, yes, there's one where it doesn't use focus. And then I, okay. I I believe it's either it's getting gold in that or it's combining that with a focus cocktail, like an in-game like that refills it as you're reloading. That's super cool. It's really cool and it's really helpful. So definitely check those out. The other thing that you'd mentioned earlier, Joe, is it kind of reduces your fear of the game. Mm-hmm. So if you are fearful of the hordes, play challenge <laughs> mode and it, it will break your fear. Yeah, it will definitely break your fear. You have to- You'll do... shit your pants the first few times, <laughs> but after that- Yeah, it's kind of uh, immersion therapy. Um, <laughs> it, A very it's... hands-on immersion therapy. Yeah. It's fucking terrifying. Some of I still haven't actually played some of the horde challenges. I am too scared. Uh, I don't. I don't really like. I'm, I said earlier, I'm like a stealthy I think defensive I've tried player. Tried all of them. I don't but want I just... to. I don't want to play the really hard ones. <laughs> but the perks are definitely worth it. So if you're yeah. even remotely interested in improving Deacon's ability to play the main story game, do the yeah. challenges and you get those perks in the main story immediately as soon as you unlock them. Boom! There mm-hmm. you go. There's your bonus. If anyone wants any help doing the challenges, I highly recommend. Borislav247, B-O-R-I-S-L-A-V-247 on YouTube. Look him up. This this dude is such a badass. He's incredible. I also did an interview with him. There's a two-parter interview with him where he talks about challenge mode. I believe that is quite probably spoiler-free. But again, I can't guarantee. But he talks about challenge mode and like how to... Uh, he has all these how-to videos on his YouTube channel, all these tutorials. I used a couple of them. I got gold in the challenges that I never would have got gold in. I never would have got gold in any of them, but he helped me get gold. And uh, he breaks down how they work and how you score the points that you need to get gold, all the sub-challenges. He's figured out the best tactics for everything, and he's made them really quite doable. Mm-hmm. Really, really doable. So I highly recommend Borislav 24-7. Check him out. He can help you get gold in those. 
these challenge mode mini mini games i don't know what you want to call them for anyone who was very into playing the video game style of the the 80s and 90s these are very arcade style games and they are a lot of fun if you love that kind of video game and that mentality with you know much better graphics um (laughs) the 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 scoring system is very similar you know one of those you shoot like the with the hordes i'm pretty sure there's a multiplier for every single freak you kill Mm -hmm. and the only time it goes away is when you get hit by a freak i think so it just goes up and up and up and up and up, you know, like like an arcade style game would do. It's just, it, it is a lot of fun. And I, I highly recommend at least give giving them a shot. All right. A couple things before we wrap up. You can support the Days Gone podcast via buymeacoffee.com slash Days Gone pod, where you can throw a little money in the tip jar if you're feeling generous. That really helps me with the overhead costs of running the show. You can also support the podcast by simply leaving a review on Spotify or whatever app you use to listen to us and subscribe and give us a thumbs up on YouTube. That helps the algorithm do its thing so more people can find the podcast. Joe, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for not only coming on stage to talk about this, but for suggesting this as a topic in the first place. (laughs) Thank you. Of course. You can email me your thoughts, comments, opinions, and counter-arguments at daysgonepod at gmail.com. You can also find me moderating the Days Gone subreddit. Thanks for listening. Weaver out. Weaver out.